Is the BBC... Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm waiting. Hello. What is it? It's very good of you to give up all your spare time to come and say it. Well, I'm paid for it. What? <laughs> paid for it? Why for saying that? Oh, that's window, isn't it? But this isn't all I do, you know. I also read the news. Well, there's nothing in that. Oh, really? I'd like to hear you say things like... Mr. Tramby Croft was, of course, a preeminent connoisseur of universal antiquity, specialising in the Baroque, Rococo, Pre-Raphaelite and Byzantine period. Well, that's easy. Oh, go on, you say it. Listen. Mr. Tramby Croft was, of course, a preeminent connoisseur of universal antiquity, speculating in cocoa, Edinburgh Rock, <laughs> and fresh paper lines. No, it's all right, all right, then you better go on and announce it. It's all wrong, really, though. I should... Thank you very much. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, whatever happens during the next 30 minutes will certainly be beyond our care. Among those taking part are the Honourable Charles Cobweb, Deirdre Popplejoy, Councillor Ulysses Grift, Sir Frisbee de Nos, Grace Golightly, the Maharaja of Huddersfield, and of course Mr. Kenneth Horne, who prefers to remain anonymous. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenneth Horne. Hello, good evening. And first of all, here's a word for all French waiters. Garçon. <laughs> well, now, tonight I was going to talk to you about drilling for oil, but I thought you might find it rather boring. So, instead, let me tell you about some of the things that happened to me last week. On Monday, I paid a visit to a sausage rehabilitation centre in Wiltshire. And it really was most interesting to see how they make both ends meet. However, on Tuesday, I was invited to stay with a friend of mine in the country. It's a, a charming house, which, to quote the estate agent, was a nice unfair semi-debt bill, two-minute tube, three-bed, two-recept, mod kit, and Actually, it's a 12-room Tudor mansion on the main London to Brighton line, and I, I must say it's a magnificent place. In fact, there's only one snag. My friend has to leave the front and back doors open to let the trains go through. <laughs> Well, he's got a copy of the timetable, and everything works out quite well, providing there's no alterations in the schedule. Then it becomes a trifle awkward. For instance, on Thursday morning, just as I started my porridge, the 8.15 came by a little earlier than usual. Eventually, I finished up having my toast and marmalade at Victoria Station. <laughs> However, it did get me to town nice and early, which was just as well, because I had to go and deliver my weekly article, which I'm writing for a woman's magazine. Their offices were somewhere in Fleet Street. I say, excuse me, uh, uh, could you direct me to Fleet Street, please? Yes, certainly, Governor. Now, let me think, Fleet Street, uh, that's right here somewhere. Cool. Yeah, I don't know where it is. I've worked here long enough. Fleet Street, um, uh, no, I, I think you go down that road. No, 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 wait, I'm alive. No, you don't, no, uh. I know London at the back of me hand. Uh, uh, hold on a minute now. Um, uh, excuse Fleet, please. Uh, I couldn't help overhearing. Fleet Street is down this road and first on the left. Who asked you, bloody <laughs> foreigners? Stick up bloody noses in everywhere now then, uh, sir. Fleet Street. Well, uh, quite honestly, if I was you, I'd take a taxi. Yes, I think that's that better. A uh, cab, sir? Just over here, sir. Now then, where to, sir? Uh, Fleet Street. Right, sir. <laughs> Say, driver, where are we now? South Mims, sir. <laughs> South Mims? 
That's in the middle of Hertfordshire. Yes, sir. Pretty county, isn't it? Yeah, but it's miles away from Fleet Street. I know, sir, but, well, it was such a lovely day. Oh, well, this is preposterous. It's an outrage. Get there as quickly as you can. It's disgusting. I've never heard anything like it. Write my MP about this, dear Bessie. Oh. <laughs> how, how dare the driver take such liberties? What do we stop for now? Well, sir, I'm afraid I'll have to ask you to leave my cab. Oh, why? Can't stand people talking about me behind my back. <laughs> but, driver, you can't possibly leave me out here right in the middle of the... <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. I can't help that, sir. No, then, that's a get. Oh, very well. What a nerve. So, with one consolation, he forgot to collect his fare. That'll be 37 and 6, sir. Oh, this is too bad. All right, there you are. No tip? Cool. Oh, I don't know. Some people got a burglar alarm on their dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> now, what on earth am I going to do? Say, can I give you a lift into town? Oh, that's awfully kind of you. I have rather been left stranded. Well, jump in. I say, you don't mind if we have the old wireless on, do you? Well, it's all I should enjoy it. The part of the spirit of Robin Marshes was played by Norman Shelley and not by Shirley Bassey. <laughs> Program first heard on October the 24th, 1804. <laughs> and now it's time to listen to the delightful voice of Patricia Lancaster. Well, there's a coincidence. I wonder what she's going to sing, and if she's thinking of me. I've chosen to sing this week, Love. Oh, good. Mother, when I'm near you and I hear you speak my name softly in my ear you breathe a flame Father, when we're dancing keep on glancing in my eyes till love's own entrancing music dies all of my future is in you your every plan I design promise you'll always continue to be When your tender fears depart Lover, I surrender to my heart
Well, here we are, old boy. Fleet Street. I'm afraid this is as far as I can take you. Thank you very much indeed. Well, Fleet Street at last. Good heavens, and by some strange coincidence, could only happen on sound radio. I'm right outside the offices I want. Now, this is it. Tittle Tattle. Jolly good name for a woman's magazine. Oh, good morning. I'd like to see the editor, please. I'm a contributor. The name is Kenneth Horn. Uh, the editor is expecting you. Go straight in. Go. How are you, Mr. Horn? <laughs> oh, well, at last we meet. <laughs> I must say, you don't look a bit like a beauty expert. <laughs> Their appearances are deceptive, aren't they? I mean, I'm a rug of blue. <laughs> <laughs> There we are. Anyway, we do appreciate your articles. We all think they are simply scrumptious. And our women readers just love your beauty hints and all those little wrinkles you give them. <laughs> yes. We all went mad about that little gem in last week's article. Oh, really? Which was that? Oh, you know. If you're worried about your crow's feet, wear shoes. <laughs> ah, that is what I call a beauty hint. <laughs> I'm so glad you like them. As a matter of fact, in this article, I've had rather a novel idea for women's hats. Oh, do tell. Well, uh... <laughs> the idea is to decorate them with real live birds. Oh, what a dreamy notion. What's the idea behind it? Well, it's very simple. If the hats aren't paid for, they fly back to the shop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bliss. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't stand here gossiping all day. I've got a magazine to edit. By the way, here's an advanced copy of this week's issue. Thanks for calling. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, I'm glad I've a copy of Tickle Tattle. It'll give me something to read on the train. Tickle Tattle. Well, there seems to be something for everyone here. Now, what's this on page three? Here are some old mints for the old Andy man by Timber Bunce. Well, this week I'm going to show you how to make two orange boxes out of an old wardrobe. <laughs> I'll read that later. Now then, page seven. Knitting. This week we're going to knit something really exciting. Angora braces. <laughs> And you'll have ample wool for this if you just unravel last week's little failure. Well, seems reasonable. You know, this magazine is most enlightening. Here's society gossip, for instance. Now, what does it say? While Sir Willoughby and Lady Clamouring were guarding jewellery in their bedroom, thieves broke in downstairs and watched television. <laughs> Page 10, Cookery. A lot of my readers find difficulty in telling the difference between mushrooms and toadstools. Well, it's quite easy. You simply cut them up and use them to garnish the steak. Then eat the meal and go to bed and don't worry. If you wake up in the morning, they're mushrooms. <laughs> now, now here's, here's something new to do with pineapple chunks. One evening, if you haven't got much to do and you're rather bored, why not try putting the pieces together again? <laughs> I must try that sometime. Now, now, here's the serial story. 
And as usual, it starts on page 24, is continued on 62 and 73, part of page 97, and eventually comes to its breathless conclusion at the foot of column 6, just under the corset advertisement. <laughs> the Fitzroy's of Belgravia by Greaves Carton. The story so far. Handsome, bronzed, pipe-smoking Roger Shallowley was trapped in the ornamental garden of a plastic novelty factory in Wembley, <laughs> surrounded by a tribe of man-eating cannibals. You'll be glad to learn he did not escape. Meanwhile, tall, rugged, grim-featured, gum-chewing Cynthia Chuff was taking tea with the Fitzroys at their elegant house in Belgravia. Now, read on. <gasps> oh, Peter, what's happened to us? She murmured with trembling emotion. Nothing, darling. He whispered passionately as he grasped the thin, shot silk of her umbrella. Why do you ask? He added. <laughs> Cynthia turned her pale, delicate face towards him. Because you've been seen with another woman. She said accusingly. Peter was unaffected. He'd been to a council school. <laughs> Purposefully, he knocked out his pipe on Lady Dunkley Fitzroy, and taking Cynthia Chuff into his strong, manly arms, he spoke. Darling. He stammered. Sorry. Um. Da -da -da, darling. That's better. He stammered. <laughs> I'm so all alone, wouldn't you? Suddenly his past swelled up before him. He remembered he'd been an escaped convict. And for the second time in his life, he didn't finish the sentence. <laughs> Just then, old Soames Fitzroy leapt up from his upper chair. <laughs> he muttered. Put a drawing pin on my chair. He continued. <laughs> Was it you, Alicia? No, Grandpapa. She reposted. Nor I. Quipped young, bespectacled, clueless Fitzroy. It was me what done it. Confessed the passing gypsy. <laughs> you ruined my father, Soames Fitzroy. He ejaculated. But now, revenge is mine. And with a crack of the whip, galloped off into the shrubbery. <laughs> Suddenly, the door of the grandfather clock swung open, and out stepped a complete stranger. So you've come at last. Snarled old Soames Fitzroy. And the stranger noticed that he was holding a revolver. What are you going to do? Queried the stranger. <laughs> Answered the revolver. <laughs> What have you done? Piped little Alicia Fitzroy. Old Soames put down the gun, smiled reflectively, and turning to the assembled company, he said proudly, I've just shot the author. <laughs> and not a moment too soon, if you ask me, said burly, broad-shouldered Kenneth Horn as he stepped up to the tall, slim microphone and announced the instrument-playing, song-singing, Applause getting Malcolm Mitchell Trier. Well, the fox went out on a chase one night, prayed to the moon to give him light. He had many a mile to go that night before he reached the town, oh, town, oh, town, oh. Many a mile to go that night before he reached the town, oh. Many a mile to go that night before he reached the town, oh. He ran till he came to a great big pen. The ducks and geese were kept therein. He said, a couple of you gonna grease my chin before I leave this town, oh, town, oh, town, oh. A couple of you gonna grease 
smashing before I leave this town. A couple of you gonna be smashing before I leave this town. He grabbed the grey goose by the neck, throwed a duck across his back, left it in the mine with a crack, 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 and the legs all dangling down, down, down. He didn't mind with a crack, 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 and the legs all dangling down. He didn't mind with a crack, 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 and the legs all dangling down. Old mother flipper flapper jumped out of bed, out of the window she popped her head, crying, John, John, the grey goose is gone, and the fox is on the town. John, John, the grey goose is gone, and the fox is on the town. The fox, he came to his own den. There were the little ones, eight, nine, ten, crying, Daddy, you better go back again, because it must be a mighty fine town. Town, town, Daddy, you better go back again, because it must be a mighty fine town. Daddy, you better go back again, because it must be a mighty fine town. The fox and his wife, without any strife, cut up the goose with a carving knife, oh, they never had such a supper in the life, and the little ones chewed on the bones, oh, bones, oh, bones, oh, they never had such a supper in the life, and the little ones chewed on the bones, oh, they never had such a supper in their lives, and the little ones gobbled up the bones. And now we come to the special Kenneth Horn documentary feature, Hornorama. Yes, each week at this time, Kenneth Horn and his team of investigators bring you a factual report on topics of immediate interest. And tonight, we present a close-up on the English. What are they really like? Do we still lead the world? Are we a first-class part? What of the people? Is the Englishman really reserved? How do we fare today? Can we sell more abroad? Are there too many traditions? What of our national heritage? And is there still time to do this feature? Yes. Good. <laughs> well, now, what is a typical Englishman? There is one quality that's inherent in us all. Imperturbability in the face of the unexpected. Take, for instance, the case of the flying saucer, which landed in the back garden of a typical suburban household. Ada? Yes, sir? Kettle's boiling. <laughs> All right, I'll see to it. Oh, oh, there's something strange in the back garden. What is it? I don't know. It's a peculiar looking thing with a great big shiny dome. Oh, Lord, it's Kenneth Horn again. <laughs> Don't be daft, Aid. Oh, 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 the mist opening. There's a little green man getting out. Hello. Like a cup of tea? <laughs> oh. oh, you must have had a long journey. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> boing, 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 boing. I think he's a foreigner. <laughs> Why do leave me alone? Ooh, he's getting back in his saucer. Ooh, ooh, he's taking off. Bye-bye. Oh, 
been speaking to her things in another world. Look, Ada, I'm busy. Just fancy, your little Ada is probably the first person ever to talk to a man from Mars. Ada, how many times have I got to tell you not to keep worrying me when I'm writing a letter? Now then, where was I? Dear sir, this morning I heard the first cuckoo. I just put the And it isn't only at home that the English remain calm and dignified. Abroad, their behaviour serves as an example to the more excitable foreigner, particularly at the casino. Vingt-un, rouge, ampère. Zut, hello, sacré bleu, I've lost all my money. What am I to do? This is terrible. Why did I not pack the bed? Oh, this is not my night at all. How foolish of me ever to come to this wretched casino. All my money. Whereas the English are fair trials. <laughs> yes, Watson. Were you on the red? Yes. You lost them? Yes. Much? Everything. 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 Bad luck. Uh, these things happen. What are you going to do? Oh. <laughs> the theater, I've only one. So much for the English on holiday, but what are the English at work? Let's take a look at that much maligned individual, the British workman. Oh, uh, uh, mate, uh, let's have another crack at it. Uh, you... Got the condensed milk open. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a nice cup of tea. However, after a hard day's work, the Englishman is always glad to return to his loved one. Or even sometimes to go home. <laughs> for it has been truly said that the Englishman's home is his castle. Emily, I'm home. Oh, well, so there you are. Hello, dear. I bought you a nice bunch of flowers. Oh, don't you talk to me. What a day I've had. The kids have been playing up. The laundry hasn't come home. The sink's locked up. And now to crown it all, you stand there with a bunch of flowers in your hands. You're drunk! <laughs> and, of course, when he is not at home, where does the Englishman seek not at home? Where does the Englishman seek not at home? Where does the Englishman seek not at home? Where does the Englishman seek refuge? Well, in his favourite club. Now, one of the most famous London clubs is, of course, the Agamemnon Club in Pall Mall. And at this very moment, we're going over to join our commentator, Cecil Snaith, who is waiting outside. Yes, I'm standing now on the steps with this angel and Mr. 
Alcoholic Club, which, as you may know, was founded in 1711 by a group of distinguished artists, writers, and politicians. Today, it boasts one of the most exclusive memberships of any club in the world. And on almost any evening, one can find gathered together here the most brilliant figures of our time. During the last few minutes, a number of celebrities have arrived, whom we hope to be having a word with in a few moments. And now the time has come to join the great company assembled inside. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Are you a member, sir? Uh, no, I'm from the BBC. <laughs> and with that, we return you to the studio. <laughs> Thank you, Cecil Smith. And now let us turn from clubs to the people who spend a large part of their lives in hotels. Is this your first time at the Majestic? Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. I thought you were new here. Of course, I've been here for many years now. Well, personally, I prefer the Grand. Oh, well, it isn't what it used to be. When I was there, I can remember as many as 50 titled people staying at the same time. But in the last few years, it's come down rather badly. Oh, well, anyway, this place will suit me for the season, and then I think I shall move on. It's all right for you, young fellows. I'm quite happy here. I sort of got used to the old place. Still, I like you, young man. I'm sure we shall get on very well together. Oh, there's the gong for dinner. There it is. I suppose we'd better go in. Is it always as crowded as this? Yes, I'm afraid so, but you'll get used to it. Coming, madam. <laughs> yes, what a proud people we are. And in summing up the English, we must undoubtedly point to those outstanding qualities that every Englishman possesses. Dignity and courage in the face of danger. British prisoners became commandants here by decrees that in future all British officers shall work. British officers work? You must be mad. Very well, Colonel. If you do not work, you will be shot. Ah, that's more like it. Kenneth Horne saying goodbye for now and leaving you with this thought, which is for all married women. Would you agree that husbands at the breakfast table are generally behind the times? Good night. <laughs> I've been listening to, or have just missed, Beyond Our Ken, a sort of recorded radio show which gave employment to Kenneth Horne and also to Kenneth Williams, Hugh Paddock, Betty Marsden, Ron Moody, Patricia Lancaster, the Malcolm Mitchell Trio, and the BBC Variety Orchestra conducted by Paul Fenway. The script, believe it or not, was written, and letters of complaint should be sent to Eric Merriman and Barry Took. However, the onus must inevitably fall on our producer, Jake Brown. <laughs>